Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on Aguilar Radio. Uh, we are here with none other than, uh, to me, the uh, a living legend, Divinity Rocks. Divinity, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> how's how's Corona treating you? How? By the way, congratulations. I know first wedding anniversary during yeah, the pandemic. Pandemic. So we had to. Well, the, the it, it was really great, but we had to postpone our. Uh, our uh what do you call it um honeymoon yes honeymoon oh wow <laughs> man well well congratulations on that and um and definitely again we're excited to have you um i want to start at the start divinity where when did music come into your life i mean from the very beginning i would say music came into my life my mom loves music i was just at her house the other day and there was music playing there's always <laughs> music playing there was always music playing in my house um my mom had a, a record collection, a tape collection. And so, um, <laughs> what was music, some of the early stuff that she was she was spinning? Bumping Algero. She loved Michael Jackson. She loved the Pointer Sisters. Yeah. Um, James Brown. Uh, I discovered tapes of um, Slick Rick uh, wow. in her collection and some hip hop <laughs> stuff. So, kind of like where I discovered hip hop music. My mom was kind of okay. hip though back in the day so when the when the teacher came around you know back back then mm -hmm. back then wow uh, <laughs> the would come around we would have music class once a week okay of the music class um and my music teacher was so engaging she was really great her name was miss mm. lewis uh, but the band, you know, she would come around well, around the time you got in about the third grade and say, hey, who wants to be in the chorus? We're going to have mm. a chorus for the school. So I shot my hand up. I want to be in the chorus. <laughs> and the band teacher came around and asked all the classes from third through fifth grade, who wants to be in the band? And I'm like, I want to be in the band. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got started. I sang in the chorus. I played mm -hmm. handbells. I always forget to tell people <laughs> in elementary school and played the clarinet. Um, and got pretty good at it. You know, I loved it. I would go home and practice. My sister played the flute, so we would okay. sit at home. We had our little music stands, and uh -huh. we would have these little practices, the two of us, with her flute and my clarinet. Like, we were just serious wow, wow. about it from early on. And so when did the, uh, where did the bass come into the picture? You know, it's funny because I always, I was just sitting with my aunt yesterday, and uh, when I was younger, my uncle had a band. My uncle Ronald had a band. He was a saxophone player. And for some reason, he started playing the bass. And I would sit on the steps of the basement and listen to his band rehearse. Mm. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time with my uncle and aunt because they were young and I was like the oldest. And so I would, you know, always bribe them to let me come over their house. And my aunt reminded me that when I was really little, my uncle had a bass. Mm. And we would go off into his little room where he had a, a keyboard and a bass. And I would play the bass and he would play the, the keyboard. But I didn't remember that. No, I probably wasn't playing anything. You know, I probably was playing absolutely nothing. I was probably <laughs> just making noise. Okay. But when I went to college, I went to UC Berkeley to be a journalist. Interesting. Yeah, and I had been a rapper. I had a rap group called Dat Boo uh, in high school, but I went to college because I was done with those kitty things of, you know, rapping or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I met a bunch of musicians, though, when I went out to UC Berkeley. None of okay. them went to the school. 
<laughs> the kids from Oakland, right? So I started rapping with them in their circles, and we wanted to record an album. And one of my good friends, uh, who was out there, was playing the bass. His name okay. was uh, Paris. He was playing the bass, and it's so funny because that's the only year Paris ever played the bass. He was a guitar player originally. Okay. So I said to him one day after we were in the studio, you know, I want to make, I want to play an instrument. You know, I used to play the clarinet when I was a little girl, but I want to play something cooler. I was thinking about getting a guitar when I go home for the summer. Hmm. And he was like, you should get a bass. And I was like, okay. He was like, yo, you're a bass player. Like, <laughs> it's funny because he recognized me as a bass player. He's like, you walk like a bass player. You got bass player vibe. You should get a bass. And I didn't think about it. Did not think about my uncle playing the bass or anything. I just said, wow. okay. went home, went to, went to the music store and bought a bass guitar. Wow. And came and back it, to school and loved it. Like fell in love. Like all I wanted to do was play bass. Interesting. So, well, first of all, it's really cool to know that that rap and, and hip hop came in first into your life. What, oh yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was creatively like? What was that stimulating and 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 doing for you? Was it was it an outlet? Was it just the? Tell tell me. I was just so intrigued. So I was always intrigued with words and storytelling. When I was really little, I just would consume all the books in the house. No matter, I wanted the most daunting, the biggest, thickest, the boringest looking book. Uh, I used to just search out for those. I don't know why <laughs> I did though. The thick binding. I, yeah, I just loved yeah. books. When I, when I stopped reading picture books, mm. I was so excited by my imagination being um, stimulated by other people's descriptions. I could tell the story in my own head, right? Wow. Yeah, so I was really intrigued with that. Um, and so that storytelling, I believe, when I started hearing hip-hop music, mm -hmm. you know, like I would ride around in my uncle's car and like when I was really little, like six, seven years old, and be bumping to don't push me because yeah, I'm, I'm close, close to, to the, the edge, you know? And like that was so cool. And, and you know, the story, friends, how mm. many of us have them? That was like... Yeah. Such a good day. It was so much storytelling in hip hop back then. And I started thinking, well, I want to be able to do that. Mm. So I would listen to the radio. Well, I couldn't listen to the radio late at night. So I had a tape deck and I would record the late night mix shows while I was wow. sleeping. Man. I'm home from school, play those shows, and write down all the raps. So some of my favorite rappers back then was Slick Rick and Dana Dane because they all told stories, you know. Wow. Um, so you were doing so, rap transcribing. Yes, exactly. I didn't That's know. what it was. <laughs> it was rap transcribing. And uh, because everybody at school, they, they like, you would go in the lunchroom and they would know the raps. Mm. And I was like, I don't know the raps. So, <laughs> because I couldn't listen to the radio later at night because I had to go to bed. So I started writing them down so that I could come into the lunchroom and spit the raps. You know what I mean? Gotcha. With yeah. So, yeah, then I started uh, writing my own raps. But that's a... I didn't just start writing my own raps. A good mm. friend of my sister's had a brother who had a friend who was a rapper. And he was older. He was he was a teenager. I was about 12. He was looking for a female rap partner. Mm. Because female rappers back then were sort of rare. It was a rarity. It was mm -hmm. cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. like, oh, man, what if I had a girl rapper partner with me? There had never been like this girl-guy duo. So somehow he got to talking to my friend. My friend was like, well, the girl down the street, she likes to, she, she thinks she a rapper, you know, cause I was going around spitting all the raps that I was transcribing. <laughs> so he, uh, he came to my door and asked my mom if he could, 
show me a rap. And okay. she was like, okay. We sat down at the in the dining room, super formal meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, this dude coming to my house, right? My mom was like, who? But she was cool with <laughs> it. Uh, uh, it's normal. We're just, just yeah, going to be so a hip-hop he, duo. It's okay. Yeah, it's cool, it. Mom. We're going to have a hip-hop. So he showed, <laughs> me, he showed me this rap he had written for this girl. Okay. Nobody in particular. And I liked it. And in the rap, he thought that it would be dope to have a female rapper named Divinity. Mm. So he said, what'd you think about that name? And we were in the dining room and my mom had like a bookcase with encyclopedias and dictionaries and all mm-hmm. this stuff, right? So I was like, well, let me go look it up and see what it means. So I go look up what divinity means. It's like, of God, God-like. And I was like, ooh, I, I think it's a positive name. It's good. So yeah, I can be called divinity. That's awesome. And uh, from then on, my rap name was divinity. And uh, I spit that one rap he wrote for me. And we did some talent shows in town. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad would drive us around to these little these little talent shows. So That's funny. awesome. Yeah, it was super cool. My dad got into it. They, my parents would just support whatever I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and then I asked him to write me another rap. And he said that from then on, I had to write my own raps. He would never write another rap for me again. Mm. And I was so devastated because I didn't really? know where to Yeah, it was like, how do I write my Interesting. own Interesting. So said, it wasn't like, hey, like, man, I could finally put my own thoughts, my own words. It was just like, what? what, no, what? no, even though I was a journal, I would journal and I would write poetry. But the rap thing, because of the rhythm of the, you know, mm-hmm. the rhythms and, and what, what are you going to say? And how do you even know what to write about? And, you know, I don't want to sound stupid. And so he said, I was like, and then he could freestyle. And I really did uh. not understand the concept of freestyling. I was like, how are you freestyling? And he said, I have an acronym. It's called Cyrate. Speak intelligently and rhyme at the end. Wow. Like, that's how you rap. And so I wrote my first rap when I was about in the sixth or seventh grade. And it was about girls respecting themselves. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> it, man. Yeah. It, this this I love this early story because it's like it now it, it helps to like lay the foundation for Every you know day. who everything and who people now have you know experienced you I mean did you so I'm curious even though you came from a, a writing background was was sharing any of the words that you had like was that still a place of new vulnerability for you were you eager so that so this was new, this was a very new thing just for you personally. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Uh, I wasn't really outgoing when I was younger. I was, re- mm. I was really shy and really unsure of myself and a little reserved. I mean, I would open up around friends and family, but when it really came to being out in the public, mm. I didn't have this outgoing personality. Even though I, was, I, I could speak in front of a group of people, uh, I could, my mom would write speeches for me and I would give them an, in the local school um, mm. You know, we would have school programs and different things like that, but I just wasn't, I wasn't sure of myself and my words and whether or not they had value yet. Mm. Mm. When did that change? When I started sharing my raps with my friends and, and they thought they were cool. You know, like when I wrote the rap Respect, mm-hmm. I showed it to my homeboy and he was like, oh, you can rap, you know, that's cool. And, and, you know, I would sit in science class with a good friend of mine and sometimes we wouldn't be paying attention. (laughs) And instead we'd be writing raps and rapping to each other and getting Mm. in trouble for it. But 
when people, when my friends started being like, yo, you're good, you're good. I started, uh, started sharing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had to put on though, put on this, this outward personality that really wasn't me. So it was like this alter ego person mm-hmm. that would come out and be the rapper and be tough, you know, but on the inside I was all mushy and sensitive. It's <laughs> still the case. <laughs> I, I get that. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, to, to hear your, the backstory, you know, it also adds just so much more to who you are now, especially I think because you, you give a, your music and what you create, you know, gives a platform for others to, to feel the freedom and the sense to express and write and to, and to communicate, um, in, in whatever way is unique to them. How did, how did rapping and, and, and rhyme like with bass? I mean, you know, one of the things you and I were talking about uh, prior to recording was that, you know, for me, uh, well, first of all, as a bass player, I can't talk and play at the same time. It's like, you know, doing that thing. Uh, it's just like I get lockjaw. But here you are, you're first, you're being a rhythmist with your words and then holding, you know, down the low end uh, to support that. How, like, if we can crack open your head, like what's going on in your head? <laughs> Honestly, nothing is going on in my head. That's the best part about it. Nothing is happening in there. Mm. Um, It's the ultimate freedom. To say nothing is happening is not really fair, honestly. I am, I'm checking in Mm -hmm. on the two things every now and again. They're almost happening automatically because I practice them a lot. Okay. Um, The only time they're not happening automatically is when I am doing something new. So it's okay. always an adventure. I'm always learning how to do it when I, after I've written a song. Mm. Um, it really came about because there were two sides of divinity in Atlanta, on the, in the streets of Atlanta, on the, mm. on the music scene. There was the rapper divinity, and then there was this emerging bass player divinity girl. who. Uh, so my rapper self was part of this group called Dat Boo Divinity and the Breakfast Unit. Mm. After I left Berkeley, I came back home and Dat Boo is, uh, really started to take off. And we started opening up for a bunch of artists who came around. And we, beca- we became really popular on the underground in Atlanta. But at the same time, I had come home to do that. I brought a bass guitar home. And I had a lot of friends in the music, in, in music you mm. know. DJs and producers and musicians, and we were always at jam sessions and rapping, you know, usually freestyling at jam sessions. I had gotten really good at freestyling. Mm. And um, when I noticed, you know, I met some musicians. There was a one bass player in particular, Taurus Mateen, who was really good. And he was also, uh, sometimes he would record with Outkast and some of the big, you know, artists wow. who were making their name here. And Taurus, I saw him at a jam session and I mentioned to him that I played bass. So he invited me to come play with him and his brothers. And I started gigging with them at like a comedy corner, like at this comedy club called Uptown Comedy Club, where before the comics came out, poets came out and we would play behind them. So people who saw me do that were like, oh, she's a bass player. And then I would go somewhere else and be a rapper on stage with my boys. And they were like, wait a minute. I thought she was a bass player, but she's a rapper. I thought she was a rapper. She's a bass player. And I started thinking, oh, man, I need to stop being two different people and try to be this Mm -hmm. one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when I left the rap group and I really started pursuing my solo thing. I had started really moving into being this musician 
and trying to be a whole musician by being mm -hmm. a rapper and a bass player and putting those two things together. Mm -hmm. The very first rap I wrote was a song called the D-I-V-I-N-I-T-Y. And that leads us to the Victor story mm -hmm. because I... Yeah, I want to talk about that. I ended up using that song to to uh, to introduce myself at Victor's camp. But yeah, that's really? how... I, yeah. So, yeah. so tell us, I mean, so you and Victor, of course, have a, a, a beautiful and unique relationship. And, and that, that experience back in 2000 at the camp, um, I, I feel like the stories become like folklore. It's legend. Yes. <laughs> um, but it really is a, an incredible story. For those that don't know, tell us about um, that moment at the camp and, and what that helped catapult, you know, for, for what was to come for you. Well, what's funny is that I had ruptured my Achilles in 1998, which is when I really started playing bass. So that's why we were wow. talking about that playing bass came out of a tragedy. Before that, I left school in 96. I came back, wow, I'm telling my age. I came back to Atlanta. <laughs> and in 97, we put out a record with Dad Boo. 98, I ruptured my Achilles tendon while we were working on oh our next goodness. record. And I couldn't do anything. And we had become popular, so I was really devastated. We couldn't tour. We stopped working on our album. Wow. And um, all I could do was play the bass. When I was in the hospital, I actually told my mom to bring the bass to the hospital. Man, um, that's so cool. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I, I started really falling in love. I mean, I had already fell, fallen in love, but I really, mm. really started focusing on it. Mm. And during that time, a good friend of mine gave me a Victor Wooten CD. Okay of hands yeah i was listening to victor i was listening to marcus i was listening to the uh what's going on album mm -hmm. um i was listening to a bunch of different bass players who i had grown up listening to this music but not focusing on the bass and who the bass players were right mm. so it was like rediscovering music again got it got it so i just sat around playing bass and i went to victor wooten's camp in the year 2000 it was really 1999 i went to the camp um and you have to introduce yourself by playing bass. I don't not really been playing bass for a long time when I went to wow. the camp. But I had made this song of me rapping and playing. So I gotcha. go to this camp. And you know, the MC in me can be really outgoing despite the shy person inside of me. So I go to the camp and Victor says you have to introduce yourself by playing bass and I was like, "Oh, I definitely ain't ready for that." <laughs> so I said, "Well, can I rap?" And play the bass he said hey. is that what you do i said yeah that's what i do he said you know do what you do i said okay so i was kind of excited about that i knew the di i knew that song yeah so i get up there and i had written this song in d basically mm. because james brown always talked about funky d so when i sat down <laughs> to make the song i was like what key should it be in i'm gonna start on d and there made it like, yeah it's like oh, <laughs> funky right yeah so I had this little funky little bass line. I played it and then I started rapping on top of it. And then I got to the hook and, and you know, and I did the whole thing. And at the end, everybody cheered and uh -huh. I felt really good, you know, um, about it. But uh, but I didn't know what Victor and those guys were experiencing back there. You know, for me, super nervous, did the thing. We, you know, they put us all in groups. Okay. We went through the camp. You know, I met Chuck Rainey and we went through the nature and the bass stuff and made a fire. You know, I was just a camper. It was nobody special. <laughs> I was just a camper. And at the end of the camp, when we were saying our goodbyes, I asked Victor if he would give me a bass lesson. Mm. And he was like, I really don't do lessons, you know. Um, 
Reggie gives yep. lessons, yep. you know, so he could talk to Reggie. But I didn't want to talk to Reggie. I want to talk to Vic. <laughs> you play the bass. I want to talk to you. Yeah. So, uh, but he wasn't with it. So, but he did give me his email address, okay. right? But I was like, okay, that's cool. Maybe I, you know, I uh, got home. I sent him an email and just said something like, you know, I really appreciate you. It was really great, you know, studying with you, blah, 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 blah. You know, I reiterated that I wanted a lesson from him or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't hear anything back for a couple of months. And Victor called me on the phone. He's like, this is Victor Wooten. I was like, what? <laughs> no, it's not. Hang up. <laughs> it was him. It was definitely him. And he said, uh, he said, you know, you know that rap you did, that song you did at the camp? I said, yeah. He said, did you have more songs like that? I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, you know, I was thinking it'd be really cool to have you go on tour with us. Like, Man. What? He was like, you know, open up the show, you know, when, when you, you would come out with the bass line. He had this whole idea. You would come out. You wouldn't say anything. The lights would be down. You play the bass line. Everybody would think it was me because you, the bass is going and then everybody would scream and the lights <laughs> would come up and you start <laughs> rapping and, and, and everybody. Man, he had like, this played oh, out. Man. He did. He had the whole thing played out. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. So excited. I got off the phone with Victor and I was so devastated i was so nervous because i only had that one song man i hadn't written any other songs on the bass i didn't know anything else about so this, this was it anything. yeah that was the only song i had so i was like <laughs> i need to start writing some songs because we were it was like maybe october mm -hmm. and he was like we're gonna go out in december oh and sweat that's what we did so the end of was it 2000? Yeah, maybe it was 2000, not 1999. Yeah. So did this become like a huge songwriting rush for you? Did yeah. this spark any? I mean, I feel I feel like yeah, like now we're going on a tour. I got to have some songs, but yeah. but did um did where I guess what I'm asking is were they were was there material there that was sort of like in the can but finally something gave the push to to get it out or was this Absolutely. like being on your toes a little? Both. Both. Because okay. I had other raps and other ideas. You know, I mm -hmm. was always writing. I'm always writing. I always got little scraps of paper with some song ideas, some lyrics, you know? So it was like putting all those scraps together to create songs, but having to come up with bass lines mm. for those songs, that's where it was really tough for me. Got so it. one of the songs that I started performing with him, um, I used the bass line from uh, Push A Man, Okay. Yeah. Mayfield, you know, yeah. and just wrote a rap on top of it. Mm. And then I think the song Rebel, it didn't, originally Rebel wasn't that acrobatic bass thing. Mm. It was just something, do do, ba do, ba do, ba do, do, you know, I come up with this thing. And so maybe I had three songs Rebel, the mm. Pusher Man bass line, which I don't even know what I was saying on top of it, and the DI, DI, okay. DI. So I was practicing those songs, and then his band came in and filled, wow. filled in the rest of the music for me. And that's we, incredible. He gave me a feature spot in his show, and I mean, Victor was—it was really uh, unprecedented, you mm -hmm. know, for him to give me that spotlight in his set, and and it changed my life, um, and 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 I think in some ways. It, it transformed the Victor's show because he didn't have any hip hop. 
you mm-hmm. know, and hip hop was po- so popular. So for him, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like we're adding this element to bring in a younger audience, mm-hmm. you know, and and I'm being exposed as this bass player. You know what I mean? So it yeah. was. It it's was, almost unique. Like it, 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 I think about like certain musicians, like I think about Miles Davis in this regard, where yeah. those those people that, you know, um, despite their pedigree, they choose to Marcus is like that, too, where they give space for this fresh, which is like such a gift. I feel like um, that's something, you know, it's that new generation and that older generation, um, not like a new generation vying for that guy's spot. There's actually a beautiful crossroads that could happen with that. If I almost want to say these are also people that are very humble. Um, and they, they recognize that this is much bigger than themselves. And so to give, yeah, to give you that platform, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it's a story I feel like that we need to, we need to be hearing more of in any, any arena. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 It's, it certainly happens. It was Mm -hmm. just, it was unprecedented at the time. And, uh, yeah, man, it really just changed my life. I wasn't going to say anything other than that. No, no, no. (laughs) I, I, I love totally hearing him tell the story though, because from, because he has a completely different perspective on the story, you know. Oh, interesting. So I love hearing him tell it. It's so funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I feel like it definitely is a story though that people, you know, constantly need to hear, you know, uh, to 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 be able to always keep an eye out, always keep scouting for, you know, that something special in someone, and to, you know, because I think like right, a lot of people, they don't necessarily identify it a lot of times as something special and unique, you know, for the world. But then, you know, you just need one person to be able to say, no, 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 that that is special. We need that. And to be able to help pull it out. And, and I feel like we constantly need to be telling those sp- stories, especially in the arena of music, yeah. you know, because it's it's a scary world. I mean, like, I think like, you know, we, we talk about like YouTube sometimes, you know, being this new educator for music, but it's also like you get to see so many players and you get like inundated, like, oh my God, there's other people that are really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I do it? Yeah, I wasn't, I was not the greatest bass player at the camp. Mm. You know, there were some really great players who Victor totally could have identified as somebody to go on the road with him. Wow. There was just something different and unique about what I was doing that, uh, that attracted him. And I will say that I grew a lot as a bass player touring with him during that time. It was really like going and living with the master, I always yeah. liking it to the martial artist who's looking for the master and yeah, yeah, going yeah. to learn from the master. And as soon as you get to the master's door, the, the they don't teach you how to do the thing you're trying to do. They say, go and clean up my yard or go wash my dishes or go paint the fence or, Mm -hmm. you know, do something different that's not related to, to what you're trying to do. But, uh, but I got to live with those masters and um, I just grew so much. I had only been playing bass maybe three years, four years when Mm -hmm. I went on tour with Victor and I hadn't even scratched the surface of Mm -hmm. what the bass is. And it's funny because Victor always says now, he's like, I didn't know that you only had one song. I'm like, I know you didn't know. I didn't tell you. I told you I had a lot of them. And he's like, I didn't realize how green you were on the bass. I didn't realize that you didn't know a lot about the bass. I think there's something special as a musician when you, uh, I, I always I always say it, uh, Bobby Franceschini, great saxophone player. You know, yeah, he would always say, "Oh yeah, it's family friend of ours. Um, love that man." And uh, and he would always say, "You know, make sure you're not the best person in the room." Mm. Um, 
because you there is no room to grow and and I feel like you know you know especially hearing your story it's like yeah make sure you're thrusting yourself in these environments where you are green because you need to see what great is you know you need to experience something uh bigger than that and I and speaking of greats and we're still still on the on the conversation of (laughs) bass playing so uh a, a, a little while back, I think at the uh, close to the beginning of of uh, of the Rona, um, you had posted a clip on Instagram of you playing uh, the Leprechaun for Chick Corea's Night Sprite record, uh, and it was a line by Anthony Anthony Jackson, and it's just the intro, yeah. and there you are playing along to it, and you had such a, a joy and excitement, and you said the best phrase at the end of it, which was that shit was cold blooded. And man, it was. Uh, it's an incredible intro bass line. The note selection is just like... The rhythm. There's a note oh, at the beginning. The he, like, he holds it out. Yeah, yeah rhythm. Yeah. And, and it was just really special. But for, you know, it struck me because, of course, we see so many clips of people playing along to, you know, popular bass lines. But in your case, it you could definitely see it in the video that there was such a sincere joy uh, from first experiencing the bass line and hearing it for the beauty of of it um but then you know playing it at the end and then and then hitting that space bar and you were like yeah like (laughs) like you know like an athlete you know like crossing a goal line or getting a touchdown was just like boom like that just happened tell us about that experience like were you were you transcribing that by ear was it like Give us the give us the context and and what the experience was for you as a person hearing and playing that line. Well, I had never heard the song before. A good friend of mine, Gillian Harwin, who's studying at uh, Berkeley in Valencia, mm-hmm. told me that she had to she had to learn this for school or something. And she was like, "You want to learn it with me?" And I was wow. Like, yeah, because when quarantine first happened, I I had all these shows lined up with Fantasia, but all of a sudden our, my calendar was empty. Yeah, and and uh, you know of course it's a bass player. I'm like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to work on some bass stuff <laughs> that I have not been working on. You know, I still get so excited about playing bass. Um, so when I heard it, I was like, oh, oh this will be learning. <laughs> okay, it was exciting. Yeah. Anthony Jackson. Oh, he's so good. He has such great rhythm and his tone and just, I mean, I just love everything about his playing. So um, I started attempting to, to learn it and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a person like everybody else. There are some people who are just so special. They can listen to something (laughs) and play it immediately. (laughs) I have to rewind that thing and play it again and rewind it and play it again and rewind it, play a little bit, then play a little bit more, then learn that. So that's mm-hmm. how I learn. I I always rewind, play, play a little bit more, learn that, and just do that. You know, mm-hmm. keep going back and forth, back and forth. So I have this program called Transcribe. Some people mm-hmm. use the amazing slow downer. Mm-hmm. I use Transcribe to learn all the music that I need to learn in a short period of time. So I was using that program and I mean, just really trying to un- get that rhythm. And then you got, uh, who's on the drums on that record? Um, oh, uh, look it up real quick. Hey, Wuckle, is it? Uh, no, it's, um, uh, I can't remember who's playing drums. So the, the just the rhythm of what they're doing together is so intense. So uh-huh. I'm trying to feel it. I'm counting it. I'm playing it. And I don't know. I just became a little kid. My wife was, 
kind of annoyed with the whole thing because she just kept hearing it over and 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 over. Steve Gadd. Steve Gadd, yeah. So I'm in there and I'm excited and I'm like a little kid learning something new because I just love learning new stuff. And and so but when I I was like, okay, now I'm going to film myself doing it because my goal was to learn the whole song. Okay. And to show my progress because I really believe that young bass players need to see the process. You turn on yeah, that's TV, a great point. You turn on YouTube and you see these people playing this amazing thing and you're like, how did they get there? They sat down in a room and they struggled through it. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's important to show that to people, especially younger people, so that they realize that there's a lot of work that goes into being great. You yeah. don't just turn it on and go for it and now you got it. Like it mm-hmm. happens for some people, but not for everybody yeah and yeah, especially yeah. for some of the people you look up to is great it's kind of like pulling back the curtains on greatness and mm. i just think it's important to do that so i, I wanted to show agree. people that yeah. i wasn't just some i'm not special in that regard i work at it <laughs> so it's I'm, encouraging I you know because right like you said like we only we we especially as an audience we see the end result of that work and we're you know impacted by it but then you know, it it's uh, it can also, I think, at times, especially if you're a musician as well, feel so far yeah. from you and not feel like something that I also could attainable. get closer to attainable. Yeah, that can I get closer towards. Um, and so like I, so tell me some what were some of the musical things that popped out to you about that intro? What 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 caught your ear? What what you know, what was a new experience? The speed mm. with which he was playing. I was trying to figure out, was he improvising or had he thought about what he was going to do? Some of the um, some of the phrasing was interesting, Mm. Um, how he would. It was the fingering. Mm -hmm. I thought it was I'm trying to figure out how was he where how was he fingering this? Yeah. You know, so that was trying to figure that out so that for the speed, Mm -hmm. because if I'm doing it one way, I can't do it as fast. But if I try it this way, oh, I can get I'm faster. So maybe he's doing it down here. Just trying to get into his head and his mind and his body and his soul and understand why he was thinking the way he's thinking. Mm -hmm. And was this some of, you know, because we get into habits as musicians. So was this habitual for him? Was Mm -hmm. this uh, something he was exploring was it new you know you know like i was just really trying to get inside of his mind and there's another song i really like um that he played on and i learned and i played this gig with nikki glassby it's um oh it's a chaka khan song um i was made to love him classic yeah so stevie wonder had recorded it before then shaka khan and he recorded it with james jameson Shaka Khan recorded it with Anthony Jackson. So I was learning that too. I had learned that and that had gotten me inside of his head. So I I just really loved Anthony Jackson. And then I started thinking as I was playing it, I started thinking about something Reggie, Reggie Wooten said to me years ago. He was like, you're fast. You're really fast. You can play fast. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to Anthony, I was listening to myself. I was like, yo, you kind of sound a little bit like Anthony Jackson a little bit. <laughs> you know, of course, I'm, you know, this, this is my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, you kind of got a little bit of that Anthony Jackson tone in you. Wow, mm. that's interesting. So I got to discover that. So I'm like, man, I need to listen to more Anthony Jackson and, mm-hmm. and transcribe his stuff. But so there was so much going on in my yeah. head as I was learning it. And then I fractured my wrist. Oh, my God. 
I know I fractured my wrist and my elbow going and riding my bike. So I never got to get back to it. Uh. So I still have to get, I'm so glad you brought it up because I still have to get back to it. Now I got to learn it all over again. And we can't wait. We got to see that. We got to see the process. <laughs> this You heard it here at Aguilar Radio, guys. We're going to, we're going to see the rest of this thing get fleshed out. I mean, it's so, you know, I think it's one thing that, um, you know, I, I feel like you just brought up is that, you know, part of the process is also hearing the influences that we didn't realize were influences on our playing. You know, we get to discover those things. And, and it's funny, like, you know, I, I fortunately was able, um, you know, to, to have a couple conversations with Anthony and, and get to know him a little bit personally. And he is such a huge admirer of Jamerson. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until that, you know, and he knows every Jamerson line, every nuance, he like to the T. Um, I'll never forget listening to, <laughs> we were in a room and, and, and someone else was playing, I forgot what Jamerson line it was. And he played something, he played it differently. And right away, Anthony was like, oh, that's oh, not that it. it. <laughs> it's this, it's this, what, well, fix that. And and it, there's such a reverence he has for Jamerson and his playing. But when I hear him now, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm hearing Jamerson. I'm hearing like, you know, history carried, like I'm hearing tradition carried down. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's really, that's another special part of this, part of this process. And, uh, and it's also like a, the note selection in that baseline, yes. how he's pivoting off of what chick is playing at the top of that yes. is. I even slowed it down to try to play some of what Chick was playing because he played something so cool. I was like, wait a minute, I want to play that. <laughs> that song is you can you can spend probably a year breaking mm. that whole song down. Yeah, well, talking about I guess com- uh, communicating through music and and um, and hearing uh, we just said the word you know tradition legacy and um, and I feel like you know especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. Well, first I feel like there's in the context of music, um, we're we're going back to some great songwriting of the '60s and '70s that communicated pain, struggle, hope, all those things, and and those songs are coming back as healing to us now. I, I'm thinking about Marvin Gaye records. I'm thinking about Nina Simone records. I'm thinking about you know Donny Hathaway. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all these incredible artists uh, and gifts to to the world that we have. That you know whose music is first, it's timeless. Uh, as music, but also I think in the in the time that we're in now, um, how 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 has music? What role has music played for you um, as both a, a place of, of of healing and communicating, especially during this time? Like, how do you feel like you're responding as a musician? Is it is it encouraging you to write differently? Um, is it in, is music is music being something new and unique for you during this time? You know, I really feel like I come out of the tradition of R&B, soul, funk music, and that music has traditionally been a reflection of our struggles as African-Americans in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, my, and it's always been a positive upliftment of people. Mm-hmm. For me, that's always been sort of my mission, even as a young rapper was always thinking about using music as a platform to say something encouraging, inspiring, uplifting mm. for people. So I really feel like there's this this coming back around of that. Um, and hip hop's in particular had gotten so far away from that. Mm. Um, so for me, music is 
like you said, it is healing. It's thought provoking. It's inspiring. It's it brings out so many emotions. And uh, and th that's the thing about music for me when I was a kid is that I was experiencing emotions through music that may have been a little bit above my maturity level. I wasn't mm. sure why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Wow. But these this music was activating something in my DNA that was deep inside and and that teaching me that I could communicate that as well to to somebody at some point, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of like what I feel like my mission has always been to inspire and encourage and uplift people. Mm. I get those messages all the time too. And it's funny because sometimes I'm surprised at the things that inspire people. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where I am. I think it's really, I think we're in a really special time. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of great opportunity for this country, mm -hmm. for the people in this country. And, um, and for, and for the young people to, to, to decide for themselves what their mission is going to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely is a, you know, even beyond thought provoking. I think it's um it's an opportunity to you know take a step forward, you know, in whatever you're doing, uh, to be an agent of change, of hope, of encouragement, you know, whatever that is. Um, and I agree with you. I feel like music is, you know, it's always been one of those unique uh, connectors of people, of course, um, but the place where we can really hear the voice of the people. You know? Yeah, yeah, it has been. But I think that part of what has been missing, and a good friend of mine talks about this, is that we, especially Black people, have been singing these songs for a long time. Mm. You know, everybody wants to hear your blues and your pain, but a lot of people don't respond to that or want to change their behaviors mm. uh, because a lot of times they're causing that pain and that wow. And so if you can love this artist so much, mm. if you can love me as this musician so much, but still have this hatred toward black people, then you need to really reflect on yourself and what, you know, mm. and take a step back and think about, think about what you're putting out into the world. And I think that that's, a, that, that's an interesting and a really good point because that's yeah. been the case for a long time for people in this country. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's heavy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, speaking of, um, you know, well, let me just say this, uh, powerful people uh, in the community of color uh, and, and, to, and to the world, uh, the, you and the band with Beyonce, Ah uh, yes, a, a very special oh. group uh, and an inc an incredible artist, of course, um, who's such a powerhouse. And that band, man, I, I remember watching clips of you guys performing. It was just so much power and energy, you know. For I mean, first Beyonce is just again a tour de force. Just yeah. she's everything. She's everything. <laughs> and then you guys behind her, like always. I felt like, and I'm not exaggerating, like like it was just ten from from jump yeah and but you can also see in the in the performing and in the playing there is a, a really unique camaraderie 
that's there. Um, and and we see that, you know, now even later on with mm -hmm. uh, things like Women's Audio Mission, which I want to talk to you a little bit about. Um, incredible, incredible thing going on. And uh, first, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about your bandmates and, and what that tour was like and, and, and the friendship that came out of that? Oh, my goodness. We are part of a very unique and specific sorority, I guess I could say. Mm. You know, we all have a very unique experience in being this original all-female band of Beyonce. It's a very specific thing to be yeah. a part of in the world. So that is one of, of our most shared uh, experiences that we, we connect on. Um, it's so funny, too, because we were also able to fulfill a dream of hers, something that she wow. always dreamed about having an all female band. So that's really special to yeah. say that you were able to help fulfill a dream. Beyonce's dream. Right. Beyonce <laughs> to say that. Yeah. Oh, that's what we should call ourselves Beyonce's dream. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so, I mean, we know each other really really well we spent a lot of time together we were a group of a a personality individual women who were dispersed throughout this country and we did not know each other at all wow a couple of girls knew each other but for the most part none of us knew each other we were put in a, a band together and the first thing that had to happen was we had to become a band. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time together. Wow. We practiced eight hours a day, six days a week, for months, even before we went on our first tour. Mm. Um, two weeks after we all got the audition, we, were, uh, we played the BET Awards. Mm -hmm. Uh, which that was our introduction to the world. Probably one of my favorite performances when you look back at it. Um, we are just, I don't know how to describe it. We are sisters. Mm. That's the best way to describe it. Mm. We're family. We, we love each other. We fight with each other. We make up. We, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are like, we are family. And it runs uh, deeper than the music, yeah. It does. It runs so much deeper than the music. But when we play together, there is, we became a band. And yeah. no matter how long it's been since we have played together, when we do play together, there is a feeling that is unique and unlike any other feeling because we have experienced so much on stage that it's just so deep if you were to ask any of us what it's like to play together it's indescribable hmm. it's you you see the joy on all of our faces when we play together yeah. like even after we play with all these other people and we go off and we do the, our separate things as soon as we get on stage together something just clicks yeah, and you can hear it I mean, you can just experience it. It's, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like, um, especially for like, you know, some of the bigger pop groups, you know, you're going to see these performances and you're hearing the hits. And, and a lot of times, you know, not in, not in Beyonce's cases, but, you know, other cases, you, you almost feel like you're hearing the record. Mm -hmm. But when it was when it's when it was you guys, it was like we were hearing something different. We were hearing like, you know, uh, almost like, you know. Beyonce and the band love. it was like it felt like <laughs> it felt like there should be a double billing on that because it, it was not just Beyonce at that point it was 
it was this in, it was just this energy behind you guys behind her and um and you can definitely it made it a very unique experience almost like like the only person i kind of think of uh in that regard is like you know like prince like you remember um you remember prince's bands throughout yes. the years oh yes you know and it felt to me that's what that's what that group was like it was it was it was like another one of those experiences and it was incredible that's dope i like it <laughs> but tell so now you know of course you know that that um that tour came to a close and but you guys of course kept your friendship and your relationship and you've done some incredible things since then um mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about women's audio mission and, and the work behind that and, and your involvement so the way we got involved with women's audio mission was we we sometimes get together and do camps the beyonce the ogs we call ourselves mm-hmm. the ogs the original gangsters um, <laughs> we got together at uh at marcy marcy is a percussionist at her the school she teaches and we did a summer camp for her students and while we were there you know it was very rare i think it was actually the 10-year anniversary of all of us getting together no we did that at berkeley but uh we got together and we were having lunch and i was getting ready to go and record my album in Oakland with a program called Zoo Labs. Zoo Labs is a uh, nonprofit organization and it's sort of an incubator program and they give grants to independent artists to help them record their albums and projects. And while I was out there, I was thinking, um, I went out there and I was like, uh, I'm going to, I was getting ready to go out there to, to just meet with Zoo Labs. And I was like, what if, what, what if you guys we took some of my studio time and we recorded a song together because we always been talking about recording a song together and we never did it or a few of us will get together and record, but not the majority of us. So I went out, went out to Oakland to meet with the zoo labs uh, people. And while I was out there, I went and visited a women's audio mission because I had met Terry at a, uh, the She Rocks Awards. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Terry about the possibility of doing a clinic or something like that. I was really looking t- to try to do more work. And Terry and I were talking and I was like, you know, what if I could get, what if I got the the Beyonce band to come out here and do uh, a clinic or something? I was like, actually, what if we just recorded a song here? Um, and she was willing to sponsor us recording a song there and invite some of the students of Women's Audio Mission to sit in on the recording process to see what a real recording uh, looked like. Because Women's Audio Mission's mission is to get more women in the studio. I love Terry and I love what she's doing because her philosophy is that if you have more women in the studio, the studio wouldn't be such a vulnerable place for women. Because oftentimes the studio can be a little dangerous for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but if you had another woman in the room, perhaps the the environment would change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Love that. So I was like, yes, let's get the girls to come out here. So while I was recording this album at Zoo Labs, we all took a day and went into the Women's Audio Mission Studio in uh, San Francisco. We had all women engineers. Uh, We had a bunch of students in the studio with us and I had written this song higher um, some months before and Kat Dyson had played guitar on it. Another friend of mine played guitar. I sent it to Nikki. Nikki had put some drums on it. I rapped on it and um, and I presented that song to the girls to see if that was something they wanted to record. And everybody was like, yeah, I love it. We went in the studio, recorded the record and um, 
my good friend, Eric Rossi, who's mixed all of my albums, mixed the record. And then he hooked us up with uh, plug with a plug in Alliance and plug in Alliance offered to That's release awesome. the record and have stems available for people to download to remix themselves. So it just ended up being a super cool, uh, a cool project. And then Nikki hooked us up with uh, this live music organization live for live music and we I created the video or we all recorded ourselves doing a video. Then I edited the video. And so the video is out and it's just been super cool. You know, That's incredible. yeah. And it's available on all platforms. So you can download it, stream it. The OGs presents higher. There you go, folks. You heard it here. Go download it and, yeah, and get involved. And yeah, man, absolutely. And, and and to anybody, of course, listening, you know, you're hearing about Women's Audio Mission Save, but there's so many incredible organizations out there. So do your research and and, and go because they certainly need support. We need to keep these programs and these things going. Uh, it is needed. Yes, especially now with the way things mm. are in the industry. It's absolutely uh, more needed more than ever now. Yeah. So, Divini, we we always like to wrap up our time. What are you What are you listening to these days? I just listen to Run the Jewels. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was listening to. I've been listening to a lot of old stuff too. I went back and started listening to some Raphael Sadiq. Yeah. Um, incredible bassist too. People forget. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Incredible. And he's also the uh, the musical director for for the show Insecure. Or the music supervisor. Awesome. Uh, Love he's, that he's, show. He's head of all the music. Yeah. Um, I just listened to Thundercat's new album, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. What else have I been listening to? I've been listening to a lot of my new stuff that is not out yet. Hey. But will be soon. Will be cool. Um, working on a new project called The Ballad of Debbie Walker. It's like a one-woman show slash album yeah. stage performance. Uh, it's about the... Um, the origin stories of divinity rocks um but yeah those are some of the things that i've been listening to i just got into the run to jewels record mm-hmm. uh something else just came out that i was listening to i can't i have to go on spotify mm-hmm. and see but um but That's yeah man. List, man yeah yeah and then i guess and i feel like this is going to be unique because we can ask you this give us uh, a, a great read a great book oh man a great grab book. Right now, the, the first book that comes to mind is Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Sower. Incredible. It's, yeah, you need to read that book. It's, it's, it's a, it's a um, sci-fi book, uh, but it is so relevant to everything that's happening right now. Parable of the Sower. Parable of the Sower. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Thanks so much for, for joining us, Divinity. This has been it was such a rich conversation. Thanks, it man. Really I mean that, man. Thank you so much for your time and, and for the inspiration, the story. I've, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that there's someone listening to this and inspiring, inspired to be you know, uh, who they are, be bold, be courageous, and to share your gifts uh, with the world because we, we definitely need it, especially now. And um, so thank you so much for joining us on Aguilar Radio. Everyone that's listening out there, Divinity, where can they find you? Social media, tell them. DivinityRocks.com. That's R-O-X-X, rocks. Um, you can find me at DiviRocks, D-I-V-I-R-O-X-X, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. You can just Google Divinity Rocks, and something of mine will pop up for sure. Awesome. Divinity, thanks you so, thank you so much again. And ladies and gentlemen, Divinity Rocks. Have a good one.